It's time for your weekly trip inside the ropes and behind the scenes of the Australian golf industry. Welcome to another episode of the Australian Golf Show with Tiffany Cherry and Mark Allen. Welcome to the show on the back of a thrilling week in the world of golf. Tiffany Cherry with you alongside the man with all the moves, Mark Allen. Welcome, Marco. G'day, Tiffany. Uh, plenty happening this week. I'll tell you what Ooh. my favourite was. Yeah. Can I tell you my favourite? Please, please. Car- Curry Webb making the cut. Yep, me too. Curry, Curry Webb coming back and making the cut tops everything this week. It yep. tops Rory hitting into the water. It tops Victor's win in the playoff. It tops Richard Bland, what he did. It tops absolutely everything. Yep. Jason Day, you know, holding that shot on the 14th hole. Yep. Curry Webb actually making a PGA Tour cut is just enormous. Mm. I mean, it, it just really gives you some insight into the sort of player that I think she still could be. But more importantly, it gives you some real insight into the player that she was. We saw Annika Sorensen, you know, she didn't play in the real tournament last week in her return. Yep. She played in the um, celebrity spots and won that playoff, you know, beat a baseballer. Well, well done, Annika. Kari Webb comes back and plays against the best players in the world. And she manages to make that cut. And I think she finished 42. She didn't play so well in the last day. Yep. That doesn't matter. She is a class act. And I think it's been missed in the media. Um, I reckon it was a wonderful opportunity to have a walk back in time mm. and for everyone to realise just how amazing a player she was. And I think she's made it very clear that she's not on a comeback. She's just picking and choosing, cherry picking um, yeah. what she wants to play. And this is one of her home events. So it's close to her home in Florida. And, uh, yeah, she finished 52nd over in the end. And there were tough conditions. The final two rounds were pretty tough. Uh, and she hasn't practised in any of that. Don't worry about finishing. 50, 50, say 52nd like it's a win. Well, it Tiffany, is a win. And I, yeah, I, want, I really want people to understand yeah. this. She finished 52nd. That is unbelievable considering she hasn't played any golf for God knows how many years. As you and, said. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, an, well, an, I, I just think it's an amazing performance. I mean, she, she, look, she probably hasn't really had a tour schedule for the last five years or something like that, something that she can really hang her hat on. Yeah. Incredible golf. Well done to Kari Webb. We did try to get her on the program. Look, she I know why she didn't want to come on because she doesn't want us to build this up like it's a comeback in the sense, you know, Muhammad Ali is coming back into the ring. Yep. She dipped her toe into the water. She wants to have a bit of a look at 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 and, and test herself in golf. And and we all want to do that. You know, you know what? We want you, we want her to know that we're so incredibly proud of her. And and she continues to inspire. Not just the you know the younger generation, but those who are who are maybe think they're past it. You can go out there yeah. and you can still have uh, you know you can still hit the ball and you can still give it a bit of a crack. But she's she's unbelievable. Lydia Ko though the Kiwi former world number one. How impressed were you with her game on the weekend? Oh, I'm just impressed with her as a golfer. I mean, I, I think I said this about three podcasts ago that. Um, Lydia Ko is one of the golfers in the world that actually makes the game look easy, and, and and it must feel easy in her mind. She's what is she? Twenty six. She's just twenty six. I think she's won seventeen times majors. Um, you know, I remember her winning tournaments when she was a sixteen year old amateur. Yeah, I think she played unbelievable. I mean, it, it was just it was ridiculous. I mean, the the thing like like I said, she, she must look at the game of golf and wonder why the rest of us think it's so difficult. What what is amazing to me tracking her career, is that when she went to David Ledbetter, David Ledbetter had her doing some stuff that I think we're all scratching our heads. It was just ridiculous, the swing that David Ledbetter had her making. And she had she gave it a good crack. She really did. 
And it went nowhere because she had a fantastic swing. Maybe it was a little bit across the line at the top, but nothing drastic. I mean, it was no big deal. And, you know, she'd played with it her her entire life. For her to go to David Ledbetter, decide that it was absolute garbage what she was being taught, and then go back and we see the person that she is there today, complete transformation of her body and her style and and everything else. I'm just being told now that Lydia's only 24, 24. years old. I was waiting. I was yeah, waiting 17 for times. Yeah. So for, for her um, to do That's that, unbelievable. It is just unbelievable. So she's an outright star Even my dog thinks of so. the world of golf. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in, incredible stuff. And it was very, very interesting watching, you know, both the top of the tree, Lydia Co, and and what Kari Webb did last week. I'm so happy for Kari. And, you know, I, I would have hated it, even though it's such a victory to make the cut, I would have hated it if she missed the cut because yeah. then maybe she would have doubted her next move. But I wanted to play again. You know, I wanted to keep going and, you know, I, I couldn't be happier. Hey, before we, um, I mean, we, we go over to Dubai, we talk about Adam Scott and, and, uh, and then Rory McIlroy, was, uh, well, one to forget, I suppose, on the 18th. But Jason Day, yeah. I want to speak to you about Jason first, who's tied for third and sort of obviously putting himself back in contention again, you know, for uh, what was it potentially his third win um, mm. at the same event? Uh, look, it's the best that he has played since the middle of 2018 uh, where he won. I think it was May 2018. So, uh, it was his best performance. He looked like he belonged again. Uh, he didn't get too nervous. Made a couple of bogeys after he held the shot a couple of holes later. Uh, that doesn't matter. Jason Day's back in business. Mm. Um, gee, I'll tell you what, he's got a fair family size these days. How many kids has he got? He's got about four kids. So, uh, that, <laughs> well, that would that would hurt to be back in business. Yeah. Yes, that would hurt your practice time. But, I mean, if he wants to send these kids through college, uh, he better start playing some good golf again. Um, and from what I saw, his putting, which, you know, really, he was always a great hitter at the golf ball. Yeah. Um, but it was his putting uh, that got him to the world number one and had him winning majors and had him in that spot. You know, you, a, lot of people, a lot of people on the tour hit the ball from 10 to green, you know, like, like freaks. Like, like you just can't believe how good they are. The real difference is the guys who hit the ball like that but can also have 27, 28 putts around. Well, then, so I, that's, I, that's a question then. He's, if he hasn't really been practising that much or out there playing as much, the fact that he's got that finesse on the on the putting yeah. green is really impressive. Well, you only have to doubt yourself a little bit. You know, that's, that's the thing in this game. If there is a shadow of doubt, particularly at the level where Jason plays, uh, yeah, that can have catastrophe written all over it. I mean, he went for world number one. I think he started this week at, in the 120s One, in the world. 129th and he's gone to 129, there you go. Yep. And he's moved up to 83rd with that finish. Yep. So, you know, a win might have got him up into the 60s by the sounds of it. So, anyway, look, a, a fantastic week of golf to watch on the TV uh, and just terrific to see some Australians doing well. And at the event, Rory McIlroy, we, we spoke about. Yeah, Rory McIlroy, look, how had the uh, he was tied for the lead coming to the last 267 yards. He had He hit a heel cut, but you can't blame him for going at it. There was a tiny little bit of mud on his ball. Um, and that does put a tiny little seed of doubt uh, into your mind. You know, if that mud doesn't come off or it makes the ball spin differently than what it, mm. what it possibly should, even though it was a tiny little bit, I reckon in the back of Rory's mind, he just he didn't want to see that tiny little splash of mud on the ball because um, it didn't look like it was going to come off the ball easily. You know, sometimes you see a bit of mud on the ball and you just yeah. know as soon as you hit it, it's going to drop off. But this little bit of mud, it looked like it was in there um, and in, in some instances, you know, you, there is a term in golf called a mud ball. Normally it's for a bigger 
piece of mud. Um, and, you know, normally if they're playing in America where Rory normally plays, you, you can, as soon as there's a sign of any mud on the ball, there's normally a, a lift place and um, a clean lift and place rule in, in, in place. So that wasn't in place there. He had to hit the ball with the mud on the ball, a little bit of doubt, off the heel, didn't even look like carrying the water. And Victor Hovland, uh, who was impressive last week, playoff, uh, yeah. came up with the victory over Richard Brand. <laughs> yeah. Blandy's, Blandy's unbelievable, 49 years old. He's, he won his first tournament last year. Um, at 48, uh, and now I think he picked up his biggest check, which is huge. I love seeing all so, these old, older players. Older players, just give us inspiration. Adam Scott, I mentioned, uh, registered his second top 10 of the DP World Tour season, finishing ninth, tied for ninth, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Good. It's always good to see, Adam. Like I said, if he holds a six or eight footer on the first, oh, you know, it's funny, a lot of us, we, we talk about his putting. Statistically, his putting's pretty good, but he hits it so close, Um so often, I think, uh, you know, when he's on the TV, when he's in it uh, and the putts don't go in, we just automatically assume that he's not a very good putter. But he, he seems to be not a good putter when the TV cameras are on him. Uh, but if you look at these stats over the four rounds, then you know, he's certainly a good putter uh, yeah. for those standards. And uh, another one, Lucas Herbert finished tied for 18. I want to go back to Jason and Adam. Obviously, older players, they've got families how how high can they climb up the rankings? How you know how uh, how much better can they improve their golf games? Do you think, given all the things outside of you know of their oh, no. golf game for when they were in their twenties and thirties? No, they can go as high as they like. I mean, they need a little bit of luck and a little bit of momentum, but they can go as high as they like. You can turn around in this game; you really can. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lucas, Adam Scott, all, all these guys, they can. But it's just about stringing some really good ones together, and they're very capable of it. Yep. All right. Well, coming up next, Marco, you speak with a living legend and he's been yeah. cherry picked for this week. I can't wait to listen to this one. Well, every once in a while, there's a real treat uh, in this world. And we've got one today on the Australian Golf Podcast. Uh, a player who was the number one of his generation of British golf. He's won an Open Championship, a US Open Championship, and he was a Ryder Cup captain for God only knows how many years. A legend in the caper. And somebody who my father dobbed into me, just got it into my head that this is a man that you watch. This is a man how you watch how you play the game and, and, and the way he gets around. His name is Tony Jacklin. G'day, Tony. Good day. Uh, how are you? Hey, I'm very well. Uh, congratulations on this book, uh, Ryder Cup. My journey in the Ryder Cup, just incredible to, to have a bit of a preview of it. Uh, I, I've only done it on the computer, but just to have a bit of a look around. Uh, just getting all this stuff down on paper, is it a thrill for you to look back? Well, that's about all I got these days. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you get to the I'm 77 years old now, so I'm obviously not active uh, playing and I'm, uh, I'm out of the uh, loop when it, with regards to commentary and so on. So uh, I just listen and uh, I'm obviously, uh, actually this whole thing was spawned by the pandemic. Uh, I was doing uh, some podcasts and, and Tony uh, Jimenez, who uh, wrote the book, with me was uh, he made a suggestion what about doing about and I was locked down actually mm. I was I was uh, taking chemo uh, for I have lymphoma a lymphoma at the time and I was sort of housebound we were having groceries delivered and all the rest of it so I had nothing else to do other than uh, reminisce and uh, mm. we we had a good time with it 
Well, we, we were wondering how the book was going to get down here, but these days, obviously, you can buy it on Amazon and direct from the publisher, Pegasus, Elliot McKenzie. So it's a great way to get it down here in Australia, which is fantastic. The one question, I guess, the one we get out of the way, the concession. What we saw between you and Jack Nicholas, uh, it is so famous. You know, in, a, in 200 years' time, they'll be talking about the concession and, and what it means to the way the game is played. Tell us, give us some of your memories about that day. Well, it was obviously a, a watershed year for the uh, British team, uh, Britain and Ireland, as it was then. Europe hadn't come into the fray, but uh, it was uh, one of the few years that we uh, we rose to the occasion. We, we we finished. It was the first tie in Ryder Cup history, and of course the. Uh, Last match out, all the rest of it, uh, all the pressure in the world, and uh, uh, but I, I think you know the, the the main thing was that as far as Jack and I was concerned, that it was the Ryder Cup got a lot of hype and all the rest of it, but it was never a war. Mm. Um, we, you know, the spirit in which we both approached it was, you know, I mean. Uh, here we go. I mean, we we t- the, the last hole. I mean, the pressure was pretty intense, and we were all square. And I'll never forget hitting the tee shot and sort of walking ahead of him. Uh, you know, keyed up to the nines, as it were. And uh, he hollered after me. He said, "Tony." So I waited. He caught me up, and I said, uh, "What's up?" He said, "I just wanted to ask you something." I said, "What's that?" He said. Are you nervous? <laughs> Jack Hamlet, petrified. <laughs> he said, well, he said, if it's any consolation, I feel exactly the same way you do. And amazing. It's not where you want to be. I mean, all your teammates around the green and, uh, you know, the outcome of the match is dependent on, the, on that one game. And uh, thankfully, uh, well, well, I mean, thanks to his concession it wasn't very long it was 20 inches to two feet but uh, he he made a very very uh, nerve wrangling sort of four and a half five footer for his four in the end but uh, all was well it was a, it was a wonderful moment we've been close friends obviously ever since and uh, but um, and and it was very very nice that uh, they recognized as uh, this last Ryder Cup but uh, up in Wisconsin with the Nicholas Jacklin Award and sort of remembered that uh, concession for the spirit that uh, that we played mm. in. And, and and it's been a wonderful uh, spectacle ever since. I mean, uh, you know, uh, match plays are completely different. And, of course, s- since then, people have recognised, I think, the public, general public, of embraced team uh you know historically and especially back then in 69 golf was a solitary pursuit we were all a pretty selfish bunch and uh, you were just thinking about yourself all the time but uh, there's been so many wonderful um, moments in team since then. and of course that success of the Ryder cup sport and the president cup which we've obviously enjoyed as well and i personally Enjoyed the international win uh, down in Australia yeah. uh, a number of years ago now, but unfortunately, America pulled the plug on it. So they don't like thought of of losing much. 
But, uh, and of course, the Solheim Cup for the girls has been incredibly successful too. So mm. um, team has, has come a long, long way in the last uh, uh, 40 or 50 years. I mean, uh, big time. Public obviously love it. And uh, uh, it's, it's become very, very popular, these, these main events. Of course, we're looking forward to the President's Cup again this year. But mm. uh, the international players will be... Uh, I'm pulling for them all the time, but um, uh, I, I hope they can uh, add to that one victory that they had in, uh, back in uh, 2000, whatever it was. 1998, I reckon, just off the top oh, of my head. 97 or 98 at Royal Melbourne. Time flies when you get my that that's a little bit on your on your playing. What about your time as captain, Tony? Because being a captain, it, it seems to me these days it is – such a high thing to do in the game of golf to be asked to either represent America um, or or the or, or Europe these days, or you know whether it's a Ernie Els doing it for you know the rest of the world. It seems to be the pinnacle of later in golf. What was it like in your day, captaining uh, Britain? Well, obviously, you know when I I took the helm in '83, it was a sort of uh, actually, I, I, they only announced my captaincy six months before the matches because there was behind closed doors there was a lot of to and froing going on opinion, and historically, captains had always been a generation or more older than the players. It was sort of a a, a reward for a career well spent, if you like. You know, the captains I played under were were considerably older than I was. And uh, I think it was Bernard Langer, and I didn't find this out for years after, but uh, Bernard was pushing for somebody more the age of the players. And I, w- I was 38 when I took the helm in in, uh, in 83. And, of course, uh, I'd learned a lot from... I'd played seven times. I'd learned from good captains and some indifferent captains. Uh, and, and there were things that I, I needed to change, I felt, and I was able to do that. Um, and, of course, uh, essentially, the matches, apart from last last year, but we've, we've had a lot of very, very close uh, matches, which has uh, gone towards making uh, making a, a team event uh, very, very popular. But And, of course, these days... Uh, I mean, this guy is standing in the wings waiting to come to be captain. But there was no sort of obvious successors to me. I did it four times. Uh, and uh, there wasn't the focus on on it as, as that there is today. Media jump on it, of course. Uh, uh, and, of course, well, captains purport, reportedly make a million bucks. I, know, I never meant a million you know bucks, that. you know. I never. Oh yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, uh, they're doing uh, interviews for a year before, a year and a half beforehand, and uh, all kinds of promotions and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a big deal for to 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 be chosen to be captain these days, and it's a big chunk out of your life. In fact, uh, Lee Westwood would would have, in my mind, have been the obvious uh, next captain, but he's actually made a statement, you know, that he he's still playing, he wants to focus on his playing. 
And if he took the captain's job, he would have to curtail a lot of that. And, uh, you know, it requires a lot of time now for interviews and, and, and all the rest of it. So uh, the world turns and that's uh, mm. the way it should be. Uh, these days, the European team, they've got the Americans, but they won seven of the last ten or it's something ridiculous like that. But you were there when it turned. You know, you were the captain of the team when you had Faldo and Ballesteros and, you know, these superstar European players and you started taking it to the Americans. Can you give us an idea of what it was like behind the scenes when that well, was starting to happen? Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, when I took the helm, there were things that I thought needed attention. I mean, we never had a team room uh, back in the 60s and 70s when I played. You'd get to know who you were playing. Your partner wasn't who you were playing against the night before in the locker room. And then you were left to your own devices to go off to a local restaurant with your wife or partner and have dinner and uh, that wasn't, as far as I was concerned, very conducive to getting a team spirit going. Um, you know, we we would wear any anything anybody would give us our team. I mean, because there was no money. You know, we would fly in the back of the bus. The Americans were flying Concorde back then. Wow. Uh, I insisted that we flew Concorde as well, and uh, I sort of leveled the playing field before at least before any shots were hit. You know, I think it's fair to say that we were one or two down before we ever hit a shot because of our uh, self-esteem. You know, I mean, like I say, the clothes we had to wear and the shoes, plastic shoes, and God knows what. I mean, I I go back and I remember all that. Self-esteem is very important. Anyway, once I took care of these issues, they they responded. I mean, the players, I mean, in 83, the first year I did it, Palm Beach Gardens in America, uh, we came within a single point. I mean, the, the response of the players was uh, uh, my players. And I didn't get a captain's pick, any captain's picks that year, because, as I said, it was six months before the matches that they that they chose me and it was too late to have any picks. So it was a, a remarkable performance in 83. And so the changes that we instigated were obviously working. And, and obviously in front of the home crowd in 85, we had the first victory in 28 years, which was a hell of a, uh, a long time. I mean, I'd been at that match in 57 at Lindrick when Dyrese's team somehow managed to win. Uh, in 19, I was a 13-year-old watching that uh, 28 years was a very long time. And then, of course, the, uh, the first win on American soil in 87 was historic uh, at Jack's uh, Muirfield Village. And uh, we managed to tie in 89, which uh, meant we retained it. And it was a time, to make, <laughs> time for me to get off the pot. You know, <laughs> I, I, uh, I was pretty, pretty much done and relieved to... Uh, uh, and honoured, you know, obviously to have been able to, to and it and it stayed much the same. I mean, Bernard Gallagher did a great job. He, although it, it was it went very close at Keewer Island, if you might remember, Bernard Langer had a six footer on the last to yeah. re- retain it, which he just missed, slipped by. But uh, Bernard got his win ultimately on his third attempt, and uh, the the. the 
we more or less dominated the thing. But uh, last year, of course, we got a good, good hiding. Uh, Stricker's team in his home state of Wisconsin really, uh, you know, they won every series. It wasn't really mm. close. He took. He had six captains' picks. Uh, he picked a lot of young guns, and uh, Europe had like five guys on the team that were in their forties. That uh, you know had, had served, have served very well over the years. But uh, these young bucks were a bit, a uh, bit too much for Padraig's team to, to to handle. So we'll see what happens uh, in Rome next year. See what. Uh, what yeah. Europe and muster is, but I mean, you know, you've got the likes of wonderful talents like Hovland have yeah. come on stream uh, uh, and, and others, but we, we need some of these young European players to like Hovland to, to step up to the plate and take their home Fleetwood and, you know, those guys. We need them to start knocking a major two off and, uh, uh, you know, being the new blood, bringing yeah. new into the team. Tony, can I take you back to just one question? You mentioned the selfishness of golfers, and we all understand that. But to, to get to where these people are on the pyramid of golf, it's uh, the sacrifice and everything they have to do. How do you get them in that team room that you organised, and how do you deal with that ego? I mean, I imagine you wouldn't have put up with the ego of some of the players on the team. It's one thing to get them all in the room and having dinner together, but how do you keep them all in line? Well, I had, you know, the, the, the quick story, obviously, Savvy wasn't uh, in the team in 81. He was arguably the best player in the world. And they decided that they didn't want him on the team because of stuff that was going on. And uh, he was my first, uh, once I accepted the captain's job, he was he was my first uh, deal. I, I got in front of seven, and he was passionate, and uh, you know he, he felt slighted by uh, you know uh, officialdom uh, that, that left him out. And once I won him over and got him back, that first night that we got to the to the team room, and we got in there on our own, and I, I that was my first first talk if you like yeah if you've got an ego there's a hook outside this door hang on that door outside this room before you come in because there's no room for egos in here as great as you might think you are you know we're all equal in this room i'm just trying to do my best for the team and i know you all want to do your best for the team and that was basically the the the, the talk and uh and and they played their hearts out, and and we continued on that vein. Uh, if I needed to to say anything to anybody, I said it, and I invited them to come to me at any time with any question that they may have had. I wanted I wanted them to be as comfortable as they could possibly be, uh, to give them the best opportunity to play their the best golf and. Uh, it, it, it was a wonderful journey. We, we saw some amazing stuff uh, and so much passion and uh, mm. emotion. Uh, you know, those years, uh, when you get that close to guys who are going out into battle uh, every day, um, it's, uh, 
it's something else. It's uh, it's much bigger than than any individual. That's for sure. Tony, we we don't get access to names like you too often down here in Australia. We, we don't, and. To get, I'd love to get your this perspective on some people in the game of golf that are dear to us here in Australia. So if you could just get a sentence or two on each player, okay? I'll start with Peter Thompson. Oh, well, he was magical. He was a mentor to me, Peter, uh, ever since uh, my, as I say, I stayed at his house in Portsea in 1966. We were good friends. He helped me. Uh, every way he could. He didn't particularly want me to play in America. It was quite funny because uh, he, he, you know, he had this world. He played everywhere but America uh, in his early days. And then when I won the US, he said, well, that would be me. You know, he was, he was a great guy, Peter, and a dear, dear, dear friend. I, I'm not sure whether you saw him, but I'm going to ask anyway. Ben Hogan is a is a legendary name of the of golf. Well, to me, he was it. I mean, he was the best player I ever saw. Uh, I played with him in 1970 in a practice round at the PGA. Quite simply, nobody did it like him. He was he was as close to perfection as there was. And this was before major championships. You know, Palmer winning those two opens in the early 60s. You know, he, it changed the whole business of golf. Uh, majors became, the four majors became it. Yeah. Prior to 1960, whether it was Ben Hogan or Bobby Locke or Peter Thompson, you know, you didn't necessarily go and play the, the, the majors. You didn't play in the US Open if you didn't live in America. You had to make a, I mean, and Sneed and Hogan both won the Open Championship. Neither of them were defended. Yeah. So, you know, it was a different, completely different slant on the game uh, when Hogan was playing. But, I mean, he won three of the four majors in, in uh, 53, of course, and he couldn't get to the other one because it was the same. They were both played at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, this is what people don't realise. But I can tell you, in my view, he was it. He was the best yeah. player I ever saw, uh, no question. Fantastic. One more, one more. Um, your successor, Nick Feldo. Well, Nick, I mean, six majors speak for itself. I mean, uh, he was uh, he was uh, the, the the solitary man, I suppose you could say, when he was doing it. Uh, uh, he 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 did it, you know. I mean, uh, with the uh, and of course the, the the one thing apart from his amazing play. But when he won that Open and he put the claret jug in the air and he said, David Ledbetter won this, won this. And that opened the floodgates for, you. and you can book this, you need to trust me on it, because that was the beginning of the, the for Claude Harmon's, all the teachers. Yeah. Uh, jumped on the bandwagon, and everybody had to have a coach after that. Uh, I mean, Faldo, really, he was the one that started it. And his determination, uh, you know, the determination that he showed and the work he put in with uh, with David and, and some of the others was uh, testament to his, his will to win. He, was, he did a hell of a job, Nick, and he's had a hell of uh, a career. 
he deserved every everything he got. Well, the book's name is My Ryder Cup Journey. Uh, Tony Jimenez uh, has just done such a great job with it. You can buy it from Amazon uh, and you can also get it direct from the publisher, Pegasus Elliot McKenzie. Tony, it's great to have you on the Australian Golf Show podcast. We really appreciate it. Enjoy your time in Florida. You look like a very happy man to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. Uh, uh, I'm going to attempt to play golf tomorrow, which is very ugly these days, I can tell you. (laughs) Martin Blake will join us next with all the news of Australian golf. All right, now we've got our Golf Australia media manager, Martin Blake, with all the news from around the traps. Martin, we spoke a lot about the overseas news, but there's a lot happening on the home front, including this weekend in Rosebud. Yeah, it's a tournament week, Tiff and Marco, and uh, the players who are down there at the Players Series, Webex Players Series at Rosebud Country Club are playing for 200 grand. Uh, It was 150. They've upped the prize money to 200 for all of these. There's four TPS events over this summer. And uh, there's one at Bonnie Doon. There's one at Cobram Baruga in a fortnight. Mm. And there's one in the Hunter Valley. That's that's a newie. And they're all worth 200 grand. So just on that. Trying to trying to bump up their prize money. They're all worth two hundred thousand dollars. That's a great that's a great point. Where are they getting the money? And and has the money come in on the back of the success of them? You know, over the last year, it's partially to do with the success of those events because they started them last year, and people like the different formats. But it's also you could put you could you could write it, take it as read that the Fortinet. Fortinet sponsorship that the PGA's picked up has allowed a bit more cash to flow through the game. So uh, the uh, Australian PGA Championship uh, later on this year, they're having two in one year because of the quirk of the mm. COVID delay, a delay uh, that's going to be $2 million. So, um, okay. you know, it, it, it's sponsorship and it's corporate backing. Yeah. Um, uh, so, our yeah. guest last week, Michael Cocking, um, did the redo at Rosebud. So if you happen to catch it on the telly, wherever you might be watching right around the country, um, the Rosebud members are absolutely doing cartwheels at the work <laughs> yeah. he's done down there. And remember, the, he, loved to, he loves the sand dunes. Remember? So it's, sand. it's 16 holes of the north course, which is the more famed of the two courses there. And they've taken one hole from the south course and they've created a new hole, a par three, uh, I couldn't tell you which of the North Course holes they dropped out. They wanted to keep the spectators because they'll get a couple of thousand people there mm. this weekend. They wanted to keep them in a bit of a closer vicinity, so they dropped out a couple of holes. So it's a slightly different um, rotor. The North Course at Rosebuds is fantastic. It's a parkland-style course. It's not really like a lot of the other um Mornington Peninsula courses. It's not linksy at all. It's green and it's got big trees. So, but it is a lovely, lovely piece of land and a beautifully designed golf course. So, I think it's very underrated. Hey, just for the locals, um, Martin, who want to go down, or you know, those who are heading down from uh, from the city, how do is it just a walk up entry, free entry? What's the deal? Do they need to get tickets? No, no, just walk up and and go through. Uh, Tiff, it starts on Thursday morning and runs through till. Till Monday, and uh, if you're not familiar with the TPS format, it's men and women pros with the women playing off graded tees and also male and female amateurs. So you've got people like Elvis Smiley, who's the last, uh, well, he's a pro now, Elvis Smiley, of course, but you've got you know a number of the best amateurs. You've got a good young pros like Karis Davidson, Elvis, those type of people. So, yeah. And you've also got Jeff Ogilvy, who's hosting the tournament. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, good. Plenty, plenty, plenty to watch this weekend. The Vic Open, of course, is next week. And 
um, you know, uh, Hannah Green's playing next week in the yeah. Vic Open. So, Sue O, uh, is, is she coming back? Sue O has announced that she's going to play that. Hannah Green is also going to play the Cobram Baruga TPS wow. event uh, 17 to 20 February. Uh, yeah, good which on is you, Hannah. A big boost for, yeah, for that awesome. tournament as well. I mean, the LPGA has resumed in America, We, as you spoke about earlier with Kari playing last weekend, but Hannah's delaying her return to America. So she's going to play the Vic Open. She's going to play Cobram Baruga. Did you ever play Marco against Andre Stoltz? I bet yeah, you. yeah. I used, to, I used to play a lot with Andre Stoltz. He's a, a, a fantastic low round shooter. He's just won the South Coast Open at Maruya over the weekend. Yeah, good on him. And guaranteed himself a start in the New South Wales Open. I think he's 51. He uh, he's, he's had a good story, Andre Stoltz, because he, two things. Well, you know, his history is he won an event on the US PGA Tour for a start, which is no small thing, is it? Um, he won in Las Vegas in 2004. Um, but last week he went into a Drummond store. You Googled his nearest Drummond store because he wasn't happy with his putter. And he went into the Drummond store and there was a pro working in the shop who gave him, said, look, I'll give you a lesson. So he had a putting lesson, bought a new putter, and he won the South Coast. That's absolutely Open, brilliant. So. Good on him. Isn't it amazing how pe- people try different equipment and it, it gives you a turnaround, like you get a new driver or whatever. But we're all the same, aren't we? Oh, I love the fact that the, the Drummond uh, pro is, you know, here's a bloke who's won on the US tour. Uh, I'll give you a lesson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. If you buy this putter, I'll, I'll throw in a putting lesson. He's got yeah, okay. That sounds okay to it's me. All about, yeah, let's, maybe, let's get that done. Maybe it's just <laughs> the feel. Hey, what's your favourite club in your in your bag, Marco? What's your favourite? What's oh, the one that you uh, pick it up and you know you're going to hit well every time? Oh look, look. I, I've just got a new set of Titleist clubs. The the T100 S's. They're the most incredible golf club. I've had blades my whole life, but. I get the uh, the seven iron in my hand. My goodness, it's just it feels like it was made for me. Yeah, so, have you got yeah. one? Don't like tell it? me. Don't tell me you've gone to the cavity backs. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Oh, there's a big step. <laughs> uh, well, I certainly I'm, I'm play the I cavity have. backs. My favourite is a sixty degree Titleist Vokey wedge. I hit yeah, it out beautiful. of the bunkers and I hit it about forty five meters. Yep. And it stops and spins and it looks good. Yeah, that's I've got a set of Callaways, but I have a putter that I got when I first, not a putter, sorry, a pitching wedge that I got when I first picked up my clubs that were, God knows what they were, years and years ago, from Jeff Ogilvy's dad, actually, a uh, great man that is, Michael. Michael. And um, and this pitching wedge, every time I pick it up, I just, not, and I'm not, I'm a terrible golfer, but I know I'm going to hit a good shot with that. If I'm about 60, 70 out, it's bang. Every time people go, wow, you yeah, uh, That's well. good. Hey, uh, guys, Harrison Crow and Sarah Hammett won the New South Wales Amateur since we've spoken. Harrison Crow's one of the best amateurs in Australia, and Sarah Hammett's a, a growing force out of the Gold Coast. She's only about 17 years old. Uh, oh. Janith Wong, another superstar. Watch out for Janith Wong. She comes out of Metropolitan in Melbourne. She won the Vic Junior again. Shot a 61 in one of the rounds. She Janith did Wong not. Is a, Where'd she Wong, shoot the 61 at? Uh, good question, Mark. Hey, no, it doesn't matter. Gardner's it doesn't, run, matter. It doesn't, matter. It doesn't matter where you shoot a 61. Uh, <laughs> Janith Wong has won everything in her path in the last two years. She's uh, Her parents are Malaysian and she came out here to go to high school and I don't know whether she'll end up representing Australia. At the moment, she's still a Malaysian citizen, but boy, oh boy, Janith Wong can really play. And Manato Nakatani from the Gold Coast also won the Vic Junior. So uh, Janith wow. Wong won the Master of the Amateurs recently and was runner-up in the Vic Amateur as well. Tiff? Wow. Hey, just going back to the Vic Open, you, we got the Pro-Am for that. And uh, Gary Kissick, I know, who obviously is the 
fiance, Mr. Barty, Mr. Barty of Ash Barty. So um, that'll be exciting to see him. He's gone. So he's obviously jumped on a plane. Louis Dobler is one of his uh, best mates, and he's he's canning yeah. for him on the weekend. Yes, yeah, so he did at the Australian PGA as well, where Louis finished, yeah. I think, third. Um, yeah, so they're both members at Brookwater. In fact, Louis Dobler is the reigning club champion at Brookwater, as is Ash Barty on the yeah, women's yes. side. So, yeah. so will we see I've Ash? Seen that, that picture. So it's a leading question. Will we see Ash in the Pro-Am perhaps uh, next I, week? I think safe to say we'd like it to. Uh, Ash, if you're listening out there. Get out to the Vic, yes, uh, Vic Open, Open Pro in the 13th <laughs> Beach next week. One last thing, stat of the week, my stat of the week, 12,668,796. Yep. That's dollars. That's uh, Lydia Coe's career prize money, which is number 32 all time. And I noticed, uh, Marco and Tiff, that she gets some Hall of Fame points for the LPGA out of that. She's on 21 points. She needs 27 to get into the LPGA Hall of Fame. So I reckon she's got that covered yeah. at 24 years of age. Hey, Nellie Quarter's, you know, such an incredible athlete, golfer, you know, streaks ahead at the moment. Can we see perhaps Lydia coming back and uh, and there being a bit of a, a jewel well, for the well, world number one? She's number three. Yeah, I know. Ranking. So, so she's a fair way back. So Jin Young Ko, I read this morning, Jin Young Ko from Korea is going to take over as world number one this week because Nelly, to stay at number one, had to finish in the top, I think, 18th in the event in Florida, and she finished 20th. So right. Jin Young Ko, Ko will take over as number one for the time being. But Lydia's hovering, I tell you. I mean, what, what an incredible, I mean, Marco spoke a lot about her, just the, the precision of her, her iron play mm. uh, when she gets going. The She hits it so straight. And Out so of the bunkers was unbelievable. Anyway, mm. great right. stuff, Blakey. We'll see you Thanks, again guys. next week. And we've got Marco's Masterclass right after this. You're listening to the Australian Golf Show with Mark Allen and Tiffany Cherry. Check us out on Twitter at Show, where you'll find Marco's Masterclass every week. And I'm pretty excited about what you've got in store, Marco. Well, I watched Lydia Coe last week and you mentioned the bunkers just a, a minute ago. Uh, she is exceptional from the bunkers. And one of the most important things that you have to be good at when you get yourself into a bunker is diagnosing the lie because there are only two types of lies in bunkers. Perfect, and then everything else. Now, for a, for a for a perfect lie, you can do whatever you like. Almost from a perfect lie, you can take it away low. You can you can do almost do anything. But you keep it nice and basic. Open the club face up a little bit, and away you go. But when you have anything but a perfect lie, and I'm talking about the sand is just a little bit higher than the bottom of the ball, this affects the way that the bounce um, will end up going through the mm. sand and quite often you hit the ball a little bit thin. So I want to talk about bad lies because Lydia is very good at it. I could see her leaning forward. There was a couple of times she had a bad lie. She leant forward. Uh, she got all the weight forward mm. and she picked up the club more. Now, quite often you'll read a magazine and it'll, and it'll tell you to lean forward and pick the club up in the bunkers. That's rubbish. That shouldn't happen. That should only happen in a bad light. So a plug lie or when the um, sand is a little bit above the back of the ball. Okay. That's when you lean forward. That's when you pick the club up. But for perfect lies, you don't need to do much different. Just take a bigger swing. For most people, try and hit the ball 10 foot past the hole and that way you'll flub it out of the bunker just right. Oh, that is brilliant. I, I never knew that. Thank you. Nice and easy. I'm nice practicing. All right, see you next week. See you, Tiff. <laughs> 